<laughs> it's a podcast now. It's a podcast now. Come on. Those, those, those wave files are pretty big right now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how some of your parents dealt with you. Y'all are loud. You are some big hitters. Yeah, anyway. big kids in this room. <laughs> oh, buddy. How, how's the heart rate in this room? Yeah, I mean, because it doesn't matter whether you played or you didn't. You thought you might, and you were like, I saw some stretching. I saw some ducking. (laughs) Oh, I dropped my keys for 26 minutes straight. Great job, everybody. Great job. Um, Everyone did amazing. That's what it's about. You know, it, it doesn't matter how long you've been playing. It doesn't matter what chops, you know. When you play like that and you just have fun jamming with a drummer... It's heaven, man. It's heaven. I, I taught on a kit like this for probably the first four years of my life. My first teaching room at Drum and Guitar City was so small. And they had, when I inherited the room from the teacher that got fired for pulling a gun on his student. Um, <laughs> I think I told you that, right? Is that real? I didn't tell you that? No. Oh, bro. Tell it now. Tell it yeah. now. So, so, yeah. So, Thomas Lang was teaching at this. No, no. <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding, T. Lang. Um, so uh, oh, we lost one. Oh, she's not. She's not. How, she's she's more of a bass girl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see you in just a see sec. A see you in a sec. So, um, yeah, this older cat was teaching. Dude, I, bro. Yeah, this is this is hot. If I didn't have, I've the, just been drinking hot tea for like the last thirteen hours. I know. <laughs> and I've got like a neon pink tank top under this because it's <laughs> it's the only thing that's clean still. Um, So, yeah, I was teaching at this place called Drum Guitar City, and this older cat had been teaching for a long time, and he was very salty and came from a different era. And, um, you know, in America, of course, you can can apply to carry a weapon, and uh, which I hope goes away. Uh, But anyways, um, yeah, he was teaching a little girl. She's probably about 12. I was working there as a 17-year-old behind the counter like the, the new drum shop kid. And I guess at some point in the lesson, he just went, what do I have to do to make you practice? And he pulled out a gun and put it on the floor, Tom. And she went screaming out of the room. And like, I just, I mean, I'm just working the front desk and I see her just, "Ah," and just run. And she's like, runs past me. And then I, and I mean, I'll edit that out. Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Bob. (laughs) I love that. We can edit. We can edit. We can edit. We can edit. Bob comes out of the room. And he's just mumbling like old man mumbling. Some of a bit motherfucking some of a girl together, you know. And I was like, "Hey, Bob, what happened?" He's like, "I, just, I mean, I, I've just lost my touch. I don't know what it takes to make somebody practice." I pulled out my piece, put it on the floor, Tom. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, you're so fired!" Sure enough, he got fired that day. And wow. then the the owner came in and gave me the teaching position. Anyways, the way that that room was set up, it was a drum set and a chair, and the teacher just sat in the chair. And then I was like, all right, let me show you how it's done. And then they'd swap. And I was like, this is so silly. So I made this kit out of one bass drum. And we had just enough room to do exactly this. And we had a ride cymbal right in the middle. It was such a great way to teach. And like now, I just, I don't know if I ever want to jam with another drummer without this setup. It's so yeah, much fun. It's Two cool. playable bass drum heads. Everyone at home listening that's not here tonight, you have no <laughs> idea what I'm referencing. But <laughs> we're basically, we built two kits off of one bass drum. And it's just a blast. Did it you guys have fun playing it? Isn't it cool? Beautiful. You get to feel the other person's kick. A lot of fun. All right. So, podcast time. Podcast time. Yeah. Here we are, man. Thank <sighs> yeah. you for coming, by the way, people. This means a lot. 
this, this is, is this is cool. our last live podcast. Yeah, and uh, it's been it's been very fun. So thank you for coming. This is heaven. Uh, really cool to see everybody here. Massive, massive thanks to Kim Lee and his full staff staff from Music Workshop. Thank you, Kim. This is the vibe. This is the vibe. I'm even thinking about putting a little applause sample right there. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe there's 600 people here. <laughs> like uh, Kim's place, man. It was like 600 people. It was amazing. Um, but no, we really appreciate it. And, you know, we wanted to end with this because this is special. Kim is a dear friend and somebody that I truly love, but he's somebody that is also doing the good work. He's trying to bring the community together. Everyone in this room at some point is either trying or will try or has tried to make a living through this instrument. And there's nothing wrong with trying to profit from what you've put your time into. When you look at the average professional musician, there is no way that they have less hours on their craft than a doctor or a lawyer. We put everything we have into this eight hours a day. We deserve to make a living from it. But if you can do it and feel good about it because you brought the community together, you did the right thing, then it's a good thing. And Kim has absolutely done that. So love you, brother. All right. You ready? I think so, mate. Yeah. So we're talking inspiration today. We are. Oof. Um, now, just from the voice notes, like being your main inspiration for so long, I just want to say. <laughs> um, so what we were talking about after the UK drum show, we're driving and uh, it was actually the drive um, to Cardiff. We had a four-hour drive, and we started talking about how excited we were to get home and play. I was saying, man, I just want to fly home and play. Like, it's a great ringtone, dude. That's it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a fat, fat groove. Fat groove. Uh, yeah, I can just let it go through the mics. We're fine. It's royalty-free. So we were just talking about how excited we were to, you know, go home and play, go home and make social media content, which we constantly talk about how much of a strain and a drain it can be on both of us sometimes to feel like we have to feed the beast and keep up with social media. But all of a sudden we had these new ideas and we were excited and we just thought like, why, why are we so excited now after I've been playing this instrument for 40 years, he's been playing it almost all of his life. Why am I excited now to do this? And we wanted to talk about the inspiration and how different inspiration is when you, when you're first starting out, no matter how old you are, compared to 20, 30, 40 years down the road and how hard it can be to be inspired sometimes and how easy it is to be like, I, I just, I've done this my whole life. The last thing I want to do is play drums. All I wanted to do today is play drums with you guys. That's all I've been thinking about all day long and hearing you guys play drums. I haven't felt like that in a long time. So we'll eventually get to what's been inspiring us lately, but let's go back in time. I know that you had idols but idols aren't enough to get you to sit on a drum set for five to six hours after school. What was so inspirational? Like what, what drove you to practice? I think for me, I think a lot of drummers can relate. Like drums were the only thing that caught my attention and I couldn't describe, I couldn't describe it. It's weird. Like when I was in school, I didn't like sports. I liked skating, but I was too scared to do any tricks. You I, might was just, get I was the guy carrying the skateboard, okay, trying it. to look cool. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, back then, I, all I wanted to do was play drums. And I couldn't, I couldn't describe it, but it was the only thing that caught my attention. And we, we've spoken about this a few times on the podcast, but I just, I came home, watched live DVDs, listened to music, and that's how I practiced and that's how I learned. But for me, it was never about like, oh, I want to I wanna, I wanna be better than Travis or anything like that. 
Sure. I just wanted to be the drummer that was in my head yeah. the whole time. And so back then it was, it was easy to be inspired because it was just like, okay, I, I'm, I'm at the very, very start of my journey. I've got so many things to learn and I've got all of these songs. And if I learn all of these songs, then I can play at Wembley Arena. And it was just like these, just, it was just, it was just mad back then. It was yeah. so, so easy to be inspired. But, um, but yeah, back then it was just about being the drummer. It, that was in my head and being able to learn and play songs pretty much. Man. Do you think that maybe the drums were also a safe place where you weren't being judged? You know what I mean? I know yeah. what you went through in school. You've mentioned before on the podcast that you had severe dyslexia. Was it kind of nice to have something in the world make sense? Because for yeah. me, th- everything at school made sense to everyone around me except for me. Yeah. And I, even though I didn't have dyslexia, I couldn't understand why I had D's and F's in school as a kid but I could memorize a full issue of Modern Drummer like that. Yeah. And no one ever mentioned to me, oh, passion is tied to your retention. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't passionate about school, mainly because the way that it was being taught to me. But I was passionate about this magazine that would show up every month, and it was my gateway to something that no one else knew. And I, I going home from school, whether it was at six years old or 15 years old, it was just the one place where things made sense to me. Yeah, same, same here. I don't know what it was. It's really indescribable. I think drums like can just make sense for people. Do you know what I mean? They can just make, hello people, how's it going? Um, they can just make sense for people and it, and it did for me. And I think you're right, being in school and being like, just not paying attention because I just didn't care. And, and also yeah. like, the teachers were obviously not that good. Do you know what I mean? And I came yeah. home and I just, and I just, I was my own teacher. And I could feel good about doing something and, and it just it just all made sense. And I think you're right, man, being dyslexic and just not being able to like just pick up on things. And being being in a classroom with other people who just got it. And I was like, How did you how did you just understand that? How did you pick that right, up? Right, and right, then going right. home and being able to watch something and then play it back instantly, it was just it was just amazing, man. I just fell in love with it straight away. How yeah. like something that I could just watch or see, be able to play it back. Yeah. I just love that. No, it's really cool. And also it's, it's tangible. You know, when I would be in school and they would give me this giant sheet of facts that I had to learn about, you know, Christopher Columbus, I just thought I'd ask my dad, like, Hey dad, like in your forties, is there a moment where someone asks you who discovered America? And he's like, no son, there isn't. And I was like, (laughs) then why do I have to, why do I have to, I mean, my brain only has so much room on the hard drive. Why do I have to fill it with stuff that I'm not going to use? And I think, and and I'm not saying that school isn't massively valuable. I would be a, I would be an incredibly awkward human being without it. And I'm happy that I have it, but being able to control my own destiny, like you said, to have a desired result, which is this specific song by this band, I get home at 3 PM from school. I can't do it. Mm -hmm. But by 630, when my mom says, Michael, it's time for dinner, which is not her voice at all, but, (laughs) um, but then all of a sudden, by that time, I could do it. And I'd be like, yeah. mom, 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 come in here. Come in here. I can play that Beach Boys song that you love so much. And like all of a sudden, even doing that and getting your parents excited because you're playing the songs that they love. You know, I would ask my dad, what's your favorite album? And he'd be like, son, this is Cream. And Cream is amazing. And there's a song called Toad. And it's got a drum solo by Ginger Baker. I, my dad definitely did not sound like that. I was like going to say. Um, <laughs> These sound like every American, like when British people think of Americans, that's what we think of. (laughs) Hey, welcome to America. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, like, you know, I would, I would take the album, you know, the live cream album and I would try to learn all of Ginger Baker's parts just to make my dad proud of me, you know, just because I could tie it to him and learn the Beach Boys for my mom. So there was that. The one thing I don't know about you, which is, you know, 
crazy, but I can't picture you practicing in my head because I don't know what it was like for you at home. Was your kit in your bedroom? Did you have a garage? I had I had a kit next to my kitchen and my parents were amazing. Oh my God. Well, it was kind of in my kitchen. It kind of wasn't. There was a door, but the door didn't shut, which is crazy. I wow. mean, I, I joked about this on the last podcast, but like they are absolute saints. The door didn't shut and it was just me playing my beautiful titanium cymbals, my crank snare, my kick drum with the penny in the middle. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like just pretending I was- Wooden Joe- beater. I think I had a Joey Jordison mask as well, mate, back in the day. <laughs> As every kid I I should. I think I went to the joke shop and was like, um, yeah, that that's looks similar. And I tried to paint it myself. Wow. And yeah, yeah, it's all coming out now, people. But it's, it's crazy because when you're that young, you don't, you have no perception of what you're giving out to the world volume-wise. Yeah, and you're just swinging for the fences. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just yeah. like thinking like, wow, these are so much louder if I just flip them backwards. Yeah. Skadoosh, skadoosh, skadoosh. And I just go, and my, my mom just dealt with Mate. it. Going back to what we first spoke about, I think as well, like back then it was just escape. It was pure escapism. Absolutely. Like talking about not knowing how much mu- like um, noise you're making, mate. Flipping hell. Like when, especially when I was younger playing drums, it was like hours flew by. I didn't know what was going on in the outside world. And I kind of like that. It was just pure escapism. Yeah. And I think it can still be that for a lot of adults that have stressful jobs, stressful lives, yep. and they can just come home. I always call that like the vacation from reality drum set where you just sit down, put on your headphones, close your eyes, play your favorite songs. Don't think about if you had right notes, wrong notes. It, they're all right notes at that point. But it just, it's an escape. And yeah. it's so beautiful that this instrument can be that for all of us. And we, you and I both as players need that sometimes too, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not learning this for Instagram. I'm not learning this for YouTube. I'm not making this for a website. I'm never going to film this. I just kind of dig it. Yep. You know? Yep, I'm not learning a song. The songs are the killer yeah. for me. I'm, but by the end of like learning loads of songs, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to play anything. I just want to play six straight rolls until the cows come home. <laughs> and there's you know nothing I mean? wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with nothing that. Nothing wrong mate. with that that's, at all. i tell you what, that's pure escapism for me, mate. Is it? The six-stroke like, roll? Oh my God. <laughs> See you in a week, mate. I'm there. Can you give me a little six-stroke roll? Yeah, just a on, cheeky then. little one. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Eddie's going to the drum set. Come on, come on. Attaboy. There we go. There we go. I have literally played that one rudiment for about 15 million years, honestly. Mate. That's I all you it. need, go man. Give, go to the paradiddle diddle. That's your thing. Go on. <laughs> I don't think I can. Go on. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there we go. See, talk, talking about inspiration, why, why did that inspire you so much? That little thing? The, that little thing. You know, I'm trying to think where it came from. It was, it was tied to Todd Zuckerman's first DVD. It was called Methods and Mechanics 1. But at that same time, I think I just had a friend tell me, like, I don't remember who it was. I wish I could give that person credit because I didn't come up with it. But they just said, have you ever thought about putting like a bass drum in front of a rudiment. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, well, if you think about it, if you did a paradiddle, just paradiddle, kick, now it's a five. If you do paradiddle, diddle, kick, which I just did, it's a seven. And I went back to like the Vic Firth poster and I was like, kick, 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 kick. (laughs) I was like, I can play seven. Who's the master of odd groupings? This guy, flamadiddle kick, (laughs) rattamacue kick. (laughs) 
<laughs> rattle, rattle, rattle McHugh kick, triple rattle McHugh. That. Yeah, so, I mean, I just love that. But it, so I think that those things, we all have to have those things in our playing. But that knowing, I'm trying to think, just to get it back to inspiration, pro podcast host, when you think about... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, when you when you have like something in your mind that has potential, so your mind can play it, your body can't, but your mind knows like, yeah. oh my god, if you just give me one more hour, mom, can I just have one more hour? I'll be just put the dinner like by the door. That's that's inspiration for yes. me. That's I love being hooked. And and talking about potential, back then when you first start playing the drums, everything is everything like, has like, potential. Actually, I I could had. I remember the first gig I ever put on. Um, I think I was like 15. I had to lie about my age. I put it on. I got all my mates down, all of their parents and sold it out. I mean, it was literally just family and friends, whatever. Right. Um, and I had, I, I made my band headline. Of course I did. Course. Anyway, in my head, I f- it felt like I was playing like the O2 arena or whatever. And I, I remember getting home thinking, that's it. I'm just, my life is done. It's over. I sold out my, lo- it was like half the size of this. I felt like Tommy Lee by the end of the night. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. was like, that's it. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be in the papers. I'm going to be of course, <laughs> kind of everything. Eddie Thrower, the next, the next rock star mm-hmm. legend. But back then, everything has potential. I think that's yeah. why it's so easy to practice when you first start the instrument. It doesn't matter about age, but everything is like, well, the world is my, my oyster. Yeah, well, because the other thing is at that point, it's, it's binary code. You either can do it or you can't. It's a one or a zero. So if I give someone that's, say, been playing for six weeks a flam tap, they cannot do it but maybe later today they can. Yeah. At this point, you know, multiple decades deep, I can do everything that I want to do. I just have to now dig deeper. And that's such hard. It's, it's so much harder to do that, to be like, well, I know that Dave Weckl has more command over the single paradiddle than I do. I got to go back to the basics. I got to go back mm-hmm. to the fundamentals. And, it, and it's lonely work mm-hmm. compared to somebody just handing me a sheet and say, this is what the pros are doing and you don't know about it. Then it's like, oh, give it to me. I'll dig in all day. But as soon as someone, you get to that point, you re- I mean, watching Yo Snickle at the UK drum show, everything he did, I thought that's either singles, doubles, or some kicks. Mm-hmm. Why is it so much better than anything I can do? And it's like, <laughs> he's mastered the fundamentals on such an insane level. So I think that's why it can be so hard to be inspired when you're, you know, decades deep into your journey on this instrument. We know that we're not there. None of us are thinking like, I don't know why they just won't give me a trophy for best ever. Like we know that we'll never reach the peak because our drummer brain will always be a year ahead of our drummer body. But there's times where you just say, I don't know what to work on. You and I were talking today. I think it was at breakfast when you were saying how excited you were to work on something because you know that you need work on it. Yeah. And that's like even just finding that thing, because it's easy to, for all of us here and everyone listening at home, it's so easy to find something you can't do. To find something you can't do, but that you're passionate about wanting to do, that's the hard part. Very you can hard. easily just say, well, Mike, I bet you can't play tabla drums. And he's like, you're, you're correct. I cannot. But I don't really go to sleep just going, oh, I wish I could play tabla. It's not one of my passions. Then I hear people like watching Carter at the UK drum show it's like, oh man, I honestly do wish I could make drums sing the way Carter does. Mm-hmm. I now kind of want to go home and just work on, I don't want to work on beats. I don't want to work on fills. I want to work on making my drums sing when I play them because I'm passionate about it. What are you going to work on when you get home? <sighs> we talked about it a little bit. Everything after the UK drum show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching, uh, does anyone know Noah here or listening at home? Noah, Noah Furbinger. 
Yeah. I've probably said his name completely wrong, but he is an absolute... There was just so many good players that weekend. Um, so I'm going to work on uh, independence. Independence. Sure. Um, but I, I had a question. Yeah. Were you, are you more inspired now after the show or before? Way more after, and I did not expect that. Yeah, same. I thought that I would go there, do my thing, and then be kind of slightly defeated because you watch these people that are just the greatest in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, and it, it wasn't that way at all. I think I've kind of got to that place where I've accepted who I am as a drummer. Of course, I want to be better. Of course, I want to improve. But I've accepted who I am. And now I'm not threatened by the people that are further along their journey than I am. Yeah. They are. I've. It's funny because I've always said when you see somebody that's better than you, they're your future. And when somebody's not as good as you, they're your past. But then I don't accept that. I just go, oh, you're better than me because I suck. And I just get depressed about it. This was the first time I saw Yoast play and I thought, I think I'm only like two years off of some of those things that I wish I could do. I saw Annika play and I was like, I'm barely 20 years off of some of those things. (laughs) You give me two more decades, I got that. Um, But yeah, what about you? Yeah, it was weird. I felt really inspired before because because this this, this thing has been going on for like two years, two and a half. Probably longer, isn't it? Two yeah, longer because we got added to the 2020 UK drum show in 2019. Yeah, so that's when we were told that we were on it. So I got really inspired because it's, it's that. I mean, mate, playing drums in front of in front of drummers is a whole different thing. I've been. I, I keep on making a joke about it, but I've been playing the songs that I played at UK drum show since 2014. Ninety percent right. of them. 2014. I know those songs. I know the parts. I know exactly what I'm doing. I've played them. In small crowds, big crowds, in front of people that I adore and respect. Yeah, I was still in my little storage container going, oh my God, oh my God. Right, verse, okay, chorus, <laughs> like just getting in my head. It's so, so hard. Yeah. Um, so I got really inspired. I was like, right, I just need to, I need to get, I need to play. I need to practice. I need to try some things, try to mimic those nerves. Um, but then weirdly after, I'm the same as you, mate. I'm like, yeah. I feel so inspired. And also I feel more confident in not my playing, not like my chops or any of that crap, like more so in just like who I am as a drummer. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I think these things, mate, when you, when you turn up and play a show and your peers are there and you've got Carter, you've got, you know, like every, your mic there watching you side stage, you've got Eric Moore looking at you, you've got all these players that are amazing in their own right. You sort of get in your head a bit and you think, oh God, am I, am I like that? Are they going to like me? Or is she going to like me? Is he going to like me? Um, and I just, I watched everyone and I admired them and I respected everything they did. But I also just went, yeah, I'm going to go up and play Year 3000 by Busted. And, I'm, and I love that. Do you know what I mean? And you did. And, and that was such, I think that that's why, you know, we know that Carter is a freak. Like he honestly feels no pressure. It's, he, he's not human. He's like, so an, he's not he's like human. a robot, mate. Yeah. And In the, when, like, the nicest, most respectful way ever. He's, it, he's when he like, gets off stage after just, I mean, literally watching the crowd walk out of Carter's clinic as they're just questioning their humanity, their tuning, their every, they're questioning everything. And you can just say like, dude, that was amazing, bro. How did it go? And he's like, yeah, man, it was good. And then he's just like, all right, man, got to go to Stockholm. Going to do another gig. You know And I'm like? You're, there's just nothing there. And yeah, he's like, I, I don't, it. I mean, at the same time, he's done some pretty amazing things, but I felt that everyone there did exactly what they were meant to do. And I've, I've done so many of those festivals where I could see somebody bending to the person that played before them or the person after them. And I'm like, Oh man, kind of bending to the pressure. And I'm included in that for sure. You know, um, playing outside of my comfort zone because I'm going on after Stanton Moore. all of a sudden 
I just go up there and I'm like, I think we'll just open with like a New Orleans shuffle. <laughs> what? Why? Why yeah. would you make that choice now? This I is know. a horrible moment. To, it's like, and he just did it. This was the first time that everyone just was themselves. So the inspiration from that was incredible. But what's weird is I think you and I were both mot- motivated and inspired by fear before yeah. the festival. This, what we have right now and what we're feeling, this is true inspiration. I want to play only because I want to play. Yeah, It's not because I'm scared that I won't live up to this person or this person I'm going to play behind mm-hmm. or you know in front of. And so that's an amazing thing. All right, let's talk about a different form of inspiration. You and I both taught in the education room, two classes. Um, that's a whole different thing. We talk about mm-hmm. playing in front of drummers. It can be super nerve-wracking. I mean, some of you, this might have been tonight your first time ever playing in front of a full room of drummers. Times that by, you know, a couple hundred, and that's the UK Drum Show or the Tam Tam Drum Festival, whatever it is. Teaching in a quiet room that's not a performance. Full fun. I remember fun. Yeah, you almost got a swear word out of my Yeah, yeah, that's as close as you're going to get. As soon as this has stopped recording, he's going to let loose. Yeah, drop Um, a couple bombs. But so... (laughs) teaching in front of a room full of drummers that are quiet, hands folded and just there. And, and you, in your mind, they've all graduated like percussion school and they know every hybrid rudiment ever. Yeah. And it's, so how are you feeling about teaching? Are you more confident now after that? Yeah, definitely. Man, I I like just getting like, you know, inspiration, man. I'm so inspired to just, I'm more inspired than ever because I'm out of my head for the first time mm-hmm. ever, especially when it comes to teaching. I think like the beautiful thing about teaching is, is that is your time to be you more yeah. than ever. Like everyone play, we all play the same stuff. Do you know what I mean? We just hit a bit of plastic and a bit of metal with a bit of wood. It's like, it's how we get there that I think is the most beautiful thing. And someone had a question yesterday about, um, they, they learn in an, in a, obscure way or something and how do they how do they teach and i was like well you just you just got to start and the beautiful thing about teaching you, you reverse reverse engineer everything you've done um and it makes sense and i think that's that's your time to sort of just be like oh this is who i am this is how i play this is how i've learned this is how i teach and i'm I, yeah i loved it mate that for me that's what it's all about that's why i love this podcast mate because talking to people connecting to people yeah about how you do something it's so much better, in my opinion, than watching someone do like the most crazy chop on a drum kit. Do you know what I mean? Totally. So yeah, for the first time ever, I was like, oh, sweet. I'm just going to go up there and talk about yeah. how I do things and why I do things. And obviously learning from you, watching you do what you do. It's just the goat of clinics, mate, honestly. It's, it's, <laughs> this is already weird. We're not going to make it even weirder. <laughs> but, but it's true. You like after watching Mike, after watching, you know, Steve White teach and stuff like that, you learn how to control a room like that. And it's hard, man. It's very hard. But yeah, for the first time I was like, sweet man, I'm just enjoying this. I'm just enjoying talking about drums. Um, did, did you enjoy the education room more or the performance? Cause your performance was di- was different. Most people yeah. just go out there and fucking chop it out. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Mike gets to the front of the stage with a microphone. It's like a, a brilliant <laughs> Ted talk mixed with a clinic. It's beautiful, but that's hard to do. So I always wonder if you prefer the education room or or the main stage. I would say this time for the first time ever, I preferred the main stage because I felt like everything I've done my whole career. I mean, I started teaching when I was 17, Mm. like gun came out floor Tom. I was teaching shaved head, lip piercing overalls. (laughs) I was a teacher. And so I've been teaching my whole life. I've been idolizing great speakers my whole life. You know, I had posters of 
of uh, Freddie Gruber and Jim Chapin on my wall. Like I didn't idolize players. I didn't have rock star idols. I had teaching idols. I had Ed Thigpen because I'd heard, oh, he taught brushes to this guy and Clayton Cameron because he taught brushes to that guy. So I idolized explainers growing up. Then I found Brian Cox and I just thought like, oh my God, he just made string theory like acceptable to everybody. I'm going to study everything Brian Cox ever does until I saw him play keys. And I was like, yeeks. But um, just kidding, Brian. Um, <laughs> but I, I loved how Brian Cox could come out and talk about astrophysics or astronomy to a crowd of non-scientists and he made it all make sense yeah. in five minutes. And so I just studied all those mannerisms. I studied how the greatest speakers in the world stood at the front of the stage. If you watch my first London drum show, that poor cameraman, as I'm pacing back and forth at the front of the stage, because I was like, well, real speakers go to the front of the stage. But I was so nervous. I was basically doing like hot sprints. <laughs> and the camera guy's like. <laughs> and so I felt like this week or this weekend, it all came together for the first time mm. where the moment, you know, we talked yesterday about the moment becoming the moment that I was present for that whole 45 minutes. Sometimes the 45 minutes is over and then you have to go back and think like, what the hell just happened? I was there for every moment and I felt like a producer outside of my body shaping the whole night. And I don't always feel like that. Sometimes it comes off okay, but I don't feel like that. Yeah, The education room was great, but it was more like a chance to honestly sit back and watch you teach, watch Annika teach, watch Steve teach. And I just love that. But I think that the one thing that you're finding out now after the camp we did together after this, I think you're finally accepting that teaching is about vulnerability and just admitting what it is you do. And it's yeah. like, it's okay that there's no secret sauce. It's okay that to tell an entire crowd of people that you think are judging you, by the way, I play two things. It's like, okay, but you play them really well and we're here to watch you play them. So can you show them to us? Yeah. You know, and I think it's just that vulnerability, just being able to surrender and say, okay, screw it. Let, can we just let the guard down? This is what I do. This is how I do it. And I know that if you even try to copy all of it, you'll still mix it with your influences, which aren't my influences. So it's going to come out different anyways. Mm -hmm. It's true. Yeah. Even, even with the playing side of things, like what, what was it the first night of this podcast? We got down and showed everyone like two things that we always Yeah. Play. Like someone, someone said like, what are your cheat codes? Yeah. And we and jumped on the kit. It's literally like two, two things. And I think that's like going back to inspiration, man. I think that's, the amazing thing about drums, I feel like sometimes, most of the time, all the time, you're thinking, what can I play? How can I play it? Especially when you get in front of other drummers and sit down at a kit, you're like, oh my God, okay, this net above my head, what can I pull out? And honestly, man, like for me and Mike, it's like one or two or three things. And I think that's actually yeah. really inspiring to think actually all I need to do is go home, pick two of my favorite rudiments and go to town on them. Okay, so the word favorite, I think that is the key because when I look back at my past, since I started teaching at 17, my whole life has been about collecting information to pass on to someone else. But as an artist, as a drummer, out of all the millions of things and all the books that I've learned out of and everyone I've studied with, I still have my three or four favorites. Mm -hmm. And that is all I play. Yeah. Like if somebody said, hey, just sit down at this kit, I guarantee we'd go, just like I shown it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah and and somebody be like but I thought you could play a bossa nova in 7 oh I can bro but I don't <laughs> dig it I don't dig it like it's not it's not my I don't sing I don't sing that in my head 
That was a Boston Seven, right? I got it. Yeah, thanks. Um, so yeah, I love some. Thanks, brother. This is so wild, man. Pouring tea, doing a live podcast. It's amazing. It's mental, isn't it? We didn't even know if we'd be able to get over the fact that we had to do one of these in person. We don't really ever see each other's it's eyes. It's so like- <laughs> weird, mate. I'm like, I'm like looking at Mike, and then I'm like, oh, other people here. We do it. Here, here. Yeah, awesome. all of it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that that's that's what teaching comes down to. It's it's understanding that even if everyone in the room can already do what you can do, or if you're teaching a private student and they can already do what you can do, maybe they can't do it the way you do it. Mm. You know, um, I mean, I would love to learn John Riley's uh, right hand ride symbol quarter notes. I've been able to play quarter notes since I was five. I can't make them sound like Tony Williams. I can't make them sound like Art Blakey. So it's like, there's always something to learn. When I used to tour in my rock band, Kiss, um, <laughs> When I used to, <laughs> uh, I guarantee we have some young podcast listeners. That was yeah, like, yeah, I guess Mike was in a band called Kiss. <laughs> um, so when I used to tour, as soon as we got to a town, I would just find out where the local music store is. And I would call and say, hey, does, do any of your teachers have an open slot today before our sound check? And I would just take a lesson. I took hundreds of lessons, one-offs in every town in America. And never once did I think, this guy's not as good as me. Yeah. I always I always learned something because the guy would say, all right, what do you want to learn? And I would say, well, how about I play and you just listen for some weaknesses in my playing and point something out. And every time somebody somebody could say something as simple as, have you ever thought about putting a kick after a paradiddle? Mm. And I'd be like, wow, great job, Bob. Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I was like, no, I haven't thought of that. And so I think we can all learn something from somebody. And then as educators, we have to be confident enough to know I can teach, I can sit down with, you know, whoever your favorite drummer is, and I'm sure I could teach them something. And you could, and you could, and you could. So, yeah. Do you want to take some questions? Let's do it. Anyone got any questions? This is your time. As educators, you have heard each other over the last weekend give give advice to drummers and drummers and drummers. Have either of you ever thought, that's a great piece of advice, I wish I thought of it first. And on the flip side of that, have you ever thought, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, that is a good question. Um, so why don't you repeat it for the listeners yeah, at home? Yeah, for now. Like, can you just speak? Can you say that again? But way, way he had actually a good projection. Yeah, I, I think, might be able to fix that I in think, the mix. Yeah. Um, mate, I, I've never ever thought... If you could just repeat the question, Eddie. <laughs> what is the question? <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I thought you knew. I got it. I remembered it. it, and then we, we made okay, a joke about it, it, and I forgot so, it. So he just wants to know, as educators, have we ever heard somebody give advice to the crowd or to a person that we thought like, oh man, I wish I would have thought of that and vice versa. Have we ever thought, ooh, that's bad advice. You shouldn't say that. I've never ever thought that's bad advice. I think you've got to be a pretty like... I, I don't know. Like, those are YouTube commenters. Yeah, those, those YouTube. Oh, actually, I think yeah. It's just like, oh, right, cool, mate. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, trolls, yeah. that's what we call trolls. I mean, you you can sort of go, mm, you know. The, well, I just admitted to being a troll. Then no, I've never I've never thought that. I think like you could like Mike just said, you can take something from everyone and anyone. It doesn't matter if they're better than you or just starting the drums. I think there's there's a lot to learn from everyone. Um, what I think when Mike talks about the 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 dessert before the main it's probably i've probably said that in the creep well, dessert before vegetables yeah you go yeah. dessert before vegetables i think that's a good way of putting it because that was kind of like my beginning that was like me at the start of learning drums my drum teacher just never did that like ever i mean like he showed me a six stroke roll within the first i don't know month or so of playing it was in the book but he never showed it to me as a fill never showed it to me as a groove 
never showed how good it could sound. If he had just sat down and went, check this out, mate. I wouldn't have been like, you're showing off. I would have been like, that's, that's amazing. Like how, how do we get, how do I get there? Do you know what I mean? So I think that the way Mike describes that, I think is wicked because I, I think that's really, really important to know if it's something you can use, if it's going to be good and, and how to get there. And, and you get there by balancing that line of these things are, you know, the work, the hard bits. But like, if you want to be that drum in your head or, or play the fields that you're seeing online, that's how you get there. So yeah, I think that, that, that for me was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Well, like, think of it like this. What if a, Trevor, uh, a treasure map was just called a map? Who would know to look for the treasure? You got to start with the end and then be like, oh, I'm willing to do the journey it's going to take to get to that treasure. But if somebody just handed you a map and then the teacher knew there's treasure, there's gold at the end of this, but here's a map, you'd be like, what am I supposed to do with this? We start with the gold. I show the kid pictures of gold. I'm like, do you like? Do you like? Yeah? Okay, well, here's the, here's the roadmap of how to get there. You have to start with the dessert before the veg. I think veg. Oh my god, I've been veg, here too long. English I'm English by day by day, uh, mate. I love it. I'm telling you, mate. I um, love it. So, okay, so I I would say like the one thing I heard somebody say, and it was said to me, and I've taken it with me forever. It was Udo Hoibeck, who is the um, vice president of Minel. I was my first time going to Minel, Germany, as a new Minel artist, and um. It was just such an amazing moment. We go into the um, boardroom of Meinl. The a is there. The head of product development's there. Basically, the whole main staff. And this is like my first time really accepting, wow, I'm a Meinl artist. This is now at a time. And this was, there weren't a lot of artists. It was me, Benny, Annika wasn't there yet. It was Thomas Lang. And so it was a really big deal. And I'm sitting at this boardroom, uh, board table. And then uh, Udo just says, before you get up, tell me three things that are wrong with Meinl. And very German, very not joking. And I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with Meinl. And he's like, well, you're not getting up until you tell me three things that are wrong with our company. And I just thought, that is so much better than asking me how much I love your company. Like, and I, I remember saying, okay, um, I don't think you pay enough attention to the jazz community. You make some of the most beautiful symbols ever to be made, handmade symbols in Turkey, and yet, I don't, I don't know what jazz drummer is playing your stuff. And, and then I did two more, and then he was very satisfied. And it was like, I need to do that so much more often. We all are searching for compliments to pump up our own egos. And it's like, that's way less constructive than somebody saying, to be honest, you're too loud. To be honest, your time is a little all over the place. And so now I'm always searching for the true critique coming from someone that loves me and cares about me and is willing to say, Mike, I love you, man, but to be honest, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, thank you. I, I cannot improve by you coming up to me and saying, God, those buzz rolls, huh? You are so, ooh, it's like pouring sand on binder paper. It's just smooth. Yeah, imagine that sh- stuff. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that was a, a, a game changer. Next question. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned it briefly just there, but when preparing for the UK drum show in the education room, how did you kind of prepare for the fact that in the education room you were going to have so many different abilities of drama? And how did you kind of tailor what you were going to do to cater for a beginner or someone who was... Yeah, that's a great question. So the question was, uh, in preparing for the education room at the UK Drum Show, how did Eddie and I prepare for the fact that 
you're going to be teaching such a wide variety. I mean, you could honestly have kids there that their parents are introducing them to the instrument and you don't want to just come out and say like, all right, guys, so obviously everyone here knows a four over three polyrhythm. So let's start that with our feet. But then let's just talk about what type of hybrid rudiments we can do while metric modulating through the different, you know, the kid's done. Um, and the dad's like, I'm sorry, son, I didn't mean to bring you to this. Like, um, so yeah, so preparing for that, it's, a, it's such a different style of education compared to com- preparing for a drum camp where you know this is my intermediate camp, this is my advanced camp, this is a beginner camp. Um, I think the big thing is it has to be big picture, has to be big picture. I'm always thinking in those situations, will the person that got dragged to this thing by their drummer friend be as entertained as the drummer themselves? So whether it's a spouse, whether it's just a friend, um, it's, you know, I mean, honestly, we had so many people, whether it be this podcast tour or the UK drum show say, yeah, my, my plus one that was coming with me couldn't come he or she's a drummer, but because they couldn't, this person came because they're a busted fan or they're an LTA fan. And they were like, they don't even play drums. They just wanted to see Eddie in person. How can Eddie entertain those people? And I think it's just that mixture of you have to have some fireworks. Like you can't teach things that don't have a firework moment because there has to be proof in the pudding. There has to be the dessert. At some point, it's like, yes, we are talking about the six-stroke roll, but it becomes this. And then people go, that can't be the six stroke roll. And then Eddie breaks it. I'm stealing your answer. Anyways. Um, but yeah, how did you do it, Ed? Seven of some mics, mate. I think it's all about fun. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I think that just, that just overpowers everything. Like when I was a kid, just the, the first sort of couple of years of drum lessons for me, it just, it just wasn't fun. Do you know what I mean? And I used to go home and sort of forget about what I was taught and just did my own thing. And I, that's all I sort of try to sort of talk about. It's like, mate, if you, if you prioritize fun, you'll play drums for longer. And then, and then you'll get to a certain point where you physically can't play the things that you want to play. Do you know what I mean? Like we all, like at the show, like I made a joke about, you know, when you, you run the way to the studio and you're like, oh yeah, I can't wait to sort of go ding, ding, ding. And you sit down and you just, you're like, oh my God, like it's not, it's not happening. And you get to that point and you start to realize, actually, this is where I'm going to, think consciously about diving into some practice time but do it in a way where it still maintains that level of fun and it's just for me it's all about maintaining that level of just fun constantly even now when you're learning songs just just don't be so hard on yourself mate it's like the gym like just don't do it consistently go don't go for 12 hours at a time and don't just live on chicken and broccoli like just do it consistently maintain that level of fun and I think that speaks to everyone Really? No matter, no matter what it is. That steak and ale pie last night was kind of dope. Man, that was brutal. We, we, we ordered... I'd never had one. I'd never even heard oh of one. Oh my God. He's turning He's, day by bro, day, mate. I love we're it. We're looking at the menu I and I'm like, uh, yeah, grilled chicken with some <laughs> steamed veggies. Like, nah, steak and ale pie. Steak I'm and like, ale oh, pie, mate. That's well, I'm a one. vegetarian, but yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. <laughs> went both to our rooms and ate it separately. We, yeah, like we literally went up the stairwell and went like, see you later, bro. Yeah. And, just, I was, and I literally said to him, no one needs to see me eat this. Like, I was like, you don't want to, we're not, we're gonna, not I, gonna do this here. I ate it in front of a mirror because it was only where the table was. Right, yeah. And afterwards I looked up and I was like, I'm getting married in like four weeks, mate. What am I doing? <laughs> Just to round off your question, I think the other thing is experience helps a lot. I've done so many of those types of things that <clears throat> even stepping, stepping on the main stage and stepping on the education stage, the main stage, I would say I had four, four total clinics ready to go as I walked out to the crowd. 
And I didn't know which clinic was going to happen until I felt the crowd, until I got to, I knew that I would play my song like as my opener. And that's not really for the crowd. That's so that I can warm up because the way these things work, it's crazy. You're just, your kit's backstage. You don't even know if your drums make sound until the first time you do your sound check. And the sound guy's so good, he dials it all in in one hit. Kick, snare. You're like, do you need six more of those? Like, no, I got it. Snare. And you're in the air and he's like, Tom won. You're like, okay. Um, so you get you have no idea what's happening until you actually play. Um, and so as soon as I played, I take the in-ears out. I start to hear the crowd like, oh, that's a decent amount of applause for this room and for this moment. I've, I've been in these moments before. Let me grab the mic and walk to the front of the stage. And I'm just scanning and looking at people's eyes. How engaged are they? Are they willing to laugh? Do they need to go deep? Because maybe the person before me, I've had Benny go on before me. And Benny's like, an absolute stand-up comedian. So it's not the right time to come out there and try to be funny. They've already laughed for 45 minutes straight. Maybe it's time to go deep and make people remember why they love this instrument and why this instrument has carried them through breakups and fights and everything. And then if, if the person before me is really deep, it's like, well, let me just alleviate that. That was, you know, if Thomas Lang plays before me, that's pretty serious. You know, everyone's like, do I need seven pedals? So it's like, all right, I got you. Let's all calm down let me drop a stick. Let me fake drop a stick or whatever. Let's just bring this down a little bit. So a lot of it's just the experience too. And same thing with the education. When I got out there, I was like, all right, guys, we're going to talk about flow. And if I would have heard, uh, I'd have been like flowing into chops, you know, like I, I would have morphed it. We would have been just fine. All right. We got time for one more question. I think we had one in the back. Like I said, we have time for three more questions. We'll start in the back. Uh, I just, uh, you talk about like growth mindset a lot in what you do. And I just wondered how you foster that in somebody that maybe he's got a bit more of a closed mindset. Yeah, that's tough, right? Like trying to change, like he said, um, we've talked about growth mindset in the past. And <laughs> this podcast really has been, it never, we never meant it to be that, but the theme of this podcast became that. How do we get over these humps? How do we get over the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, the bad wolf, and get into that obsession with forward momentum? I think the best way to give that to somebody else is through through demonstration. Like you just have to be doing it yourself. You know, I've always had this thing in me that says if I see somebody that I haven't seen in three years, the only thing I never want to say when they say, What have you been up to? is same old, same old. Hell no. Three, I haven't seen you in three years. I haven't been up to the same old, same old. I've changed the uh, freaking game, bro. <laughs> Let's, yeah, let's. We're getting, let's, uh, we're getting closer let's, and closer. Let's push people. that T away. But I, that was like cocky mic coming out. But I, I want to say I've changed the game since the last time I saw you. And I don't mean it. And I know that sounds insanely cocky, but I want it to be like I've pushed education forward or I've done something. I, I, I'm even fine saying, oh, I don't even play drums anymore. I did this, but I always want to be obsessed with forward momentum, moving forward, constantly evolving constantly looking back and being like, wow, I thought I had it all figured out. And now I know I just wasn't even close, you know? Um, and so I think it's through that. What about you, buddy? How do you yeah, inspire I, people? I, th I think the same and, and, and showing that it's possible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think that's a big, big thing. Like we can all grow and get better and get better at other things and adapt to certain times and play clinics, even if you're terrified of it or fill in on a gig last minute. I think doing, practicing what you preach and just doing, doing it and showing that it's possible. I think that's a big, big one, man. Yeah. I mean, well, I think you've, shown it the proof is in the pudding like you even said your first gigs you put them on yourself 
Mm-hmm. My first clinics, I put on myself. I yeah. rented a church. I rented the chairs. And then I knew that if I could just get that one video shot of a room with me on the stage, people would be like, oh, yeah, he does clinics. It's mm-hmm. like, well, he lost his ass doing that clinic. But it got me into the world of being a clinician because people thought, well, he just does clinics. And you putting on gigs at some point, a big band rolls through town. They're like, well, just ask Eddie. His band will do it. And now Mm -hmm. you're the opener for that legit gig in the legit room. So, yeah, just doing stuff um, and just realizing, like, you know, we played a, a, a clip from Steve Jobs a long time ago on our podcast where he just says, once you look around and realize everything you see was built by somebody no smarter and no better than you, your life will never be the same. And I do think that when I'm driving across the craziest bridge in Singapore, I realize aliens didn't build it. Men and women did. A man, a man or a woman designed it. People said, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And they just did it. And like, so whether it's a skyscraper or a flamadiddle in seven, like you just have to do it, man. Uh, question over here. Um, so both of you obviously have so much going Professional lives. I just wondering, especially you, Eddie, representing dyslexics, what organizational hacks do you have? Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think I have any. But you have that thing where you always repeat the question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we have any organizational hacks? Um, To be honest, I don't. And like, I just sort of. The reason why I have a few things on on at the same time is because I, I I like that. It's like it's it's the same as my personality. I like well, I'm feeling like doing this, so I'm going to do that. Yet again, it's maintaining that level of fun within trying to with within everything that I do. Um, and I think that is the organize. That's that's what makes things organized. Being like, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this because I'm feeling like it. I'm not gonna do that. And then it just it's the circle of life for me. Yeah, I have like three things going on, four things going on constantly and it just sort of balances out it's something that i can't really explain really it's just it's just what i feel like doing um when it comes to practice um i i sort of slim it down for, for like the drummers out there like i just i slim it. i always have two things on the set two i'm practicing two things at the same time basically because i've just my short attention span um but yeah i don't really have any mate i don't really have any it's, i'm sorry to answer that. I, I really don't like i don't know how i do as many things as i do to be honest but I do, I always move to something that I'm passionate about and what I'm feeling the most excited about in that moment. And it sort of works out really. That's, yeah, ter- terrible answer probably, but that's, that's the truth. But it was a great question. Yeah, it was a great question. <laughs> Harry, did you have a question? No, yeah, I was just going to ask, how do you guys, like when you were um, like teaching like privately, how do you kind of bounce back from like people cancelling or like not wanting to have lessons anymore? Like how, how do you kind of like pick yourself back up? Especially if it was like a shooting that, Maybe you thought we're kind of really going somewhere, and then they're just like, "I'm not." Yeah. I mean, I was teaching for a long time when I owned the drum lab. What's that? You got the question. Son of a bitch. <laughs> 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 He's so close. I just thought maybe it got picked up. Um, yeah. How do we bounce back after a student um, stops taking lessons with us, or? For both of us, what actually what brought us together mm-hmm. as friends is students canceling on either of our memberships. It's what tied us together. When he would say, like, dude, I lost two students today, I was like, dog, I lost 11. Like, <laughs> welcome to my life, man. Like, I've been, uh, so, so yeah, but when I was running my school, I had basically, I had time for 80 students a week because I taught half hours. So I taught 80 students a week for probably four years straight. And 
yeah, it was tough um, to lose a student if, because sometimes if you lose them and they say, I'm just not into this, you take it personally, like, man, I wasn't able to inspire you. But the thing is, the drums aren't for everybody. Drummers are a unique breed. And I can almost, when somebody, we, we had a, um, an Uber driver the other night that just said, well, I can't play drums. I don't have any rhythm. And both of us were like, that doesn't matter at all. Um, do you want to see the two of us dance? I mean, not together, but um, it's not a good, yeah, it's, it's not a good scene. So it's like, well, that doesn't matter. But at the same time, drummers are a unique breed of personality. We've agreed to be in the back of the stage. We've agreed to have the monitor that doesn't work because the guitarist gets the good one. And like, we are okay taking like, you know, the back seat to things. And we're just, and we're people that share and we're people that open. Not everybody is meant for this instrument. And so sometimes I just be like, man, that's okay. I just hope you find what you love. I hope you love whatever you love as much as I love the drums. And also I'll be teaching for the rest of my life. So if you want to come back, I'll be here. Um, sometimes you lose somebody that you think has the potential to really do it. And that is tough. And, and sometimes it's because maybe their parents got involved and their parents said, I'm sorry, you have to do something real with your life. And it's so tough to not step in and say, Hey, this is real. Like it's, it's just, and you know what? I, I don't want to dog out parents cause I've, I don't have a child. I have no idea what that stress is like. But sometimes it seems as a teacher that's been teaching since I was very young, I've encountered a lot of parents that somehow hate to go deep, but they almost want their kids to be as miserable as they are, you know, and they, and it's just like, Hey man, she's having a blast. She loves this thing. And I understand that she's 17 and you have to think about college and stuff, but she's actually really good. Can you just let this play out? I mean, honestly, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if this doesn't work out and she's 23? they still accept college applications. You can go back at 50. So it's like, come on, like you only have this little tiny window to chase your dreams where like I always say, like society will let you move back into your parents' house until about 28. And then they're like, you seriously need to get off your ass. (laughs) But like you can try and fail and come back and try and fail and come back. And I'm just always trying to push my students. Like if you end up in life in a job that you don't totally love and And maybe it's just like, look, I got a day job and I've got a family, but you remember that you chased the dream and it didn't work out. You will be fine. If you always remember that you never took a chance on yourself, it'll haunt you forever. So I just try to get my students and the parents to realize like, this is the chance for her or him to, to take a chance on themselves. I believe in them. I'll support them. And so, yeah, it's, that's kind of it. What he said. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, do we have any other questions before we bounce? Yeah, uh, we'll do those two and then we'll... You mentioned a forward, forward mentor. Have you, have, have you dealt with hitting plateaus or any tips or advice if you hit plateaus? Yeah, um, I'll be quick because I don't have a long-winded answer and I'll let Eddie get to it, but I always move the form, forward momentum somewhere else. So if I've hit a plateau on drums... I'm instantly color grading in Adobe Premiere and trying to make my videos look better. As soon as I'm sick of editing videos, I'm back on the kit. As soon as that's done, I'm trying to be, you know, a better person, a better human. I go to the coffee shop and I try to like tip a little bit more and and ask the person like how their day was, whatever it is. I just move my forward momentum from thing to thing. So I'm always moving forward in something because you can't always move forward in this. You will plateau. Yeah, when I'm not moving forward, I sell sneakers. Out of boy. Yeah, out of boy. I sell sneakers. And joking aside, is it's like I think it's really important to like 
you know, have other things to focus on, like like Mike's video stuff or whatever it may be, because you do hit a wall. And it's actually all right to be like, I can't be bothered. I can't be bothered to play drums today. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've done it so many times when I've been so up for it and I sit down at the kit and I play a beat and I make a mistake and I go, I'm going home. I'm going home. And I don't practice. And that's all right. I think with social media, I think it's very easy to get caught up in, in the idea that you think everyone is practicing all the time. And when the, when the going gets tough, they're just powering through. But mate, most of the time, that's, that's not the case at all. And I think it's actually all right to accept when you're not feeling it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do the same thing, but I just, I just put my focus into something else. Yeah. There we go. Last question. Um, as an elaboration moment, you say about drummers being a unique breed, we talk a lot about uh, the potential correlation between instrument choice and personality or character type. Sure. If there is a relationship between those two things. Um, and the drumming community in particular seems like a very active, uniquely like bound community, you know, speaking as a singer traditionally. Um, over the years of your work and travels and experiences, what patterns or you know, characteristics have you noticed, if any, that, that recognise someone at, at, at a drum? Drummers are a unique breed. <laughs> um so he said drummers are a unique breed which you know we had mentioned earlier and he said what patterns in the drumming community have we noticed that kind of binds and bounds drummer bounds my god i your your language my language i can't keep up with it uh but what is it that brings drummers together what makes drummers such a unique community so this is this is going to be a weird answer but sit back kids for me it's i it's unexplainable. I think half the time, most people don't know why they love the drums. They might be like, oh, I just love like, you know, hitting things. It's like, yeah, but it's deeper than that. Do you know what I mean? So for me, it's like, it's just unexplainable. It's like what inspired me back in the day to play, play the drums. I don't really know. I can't remember. I just did it and it just felt, just felt right. That is a weird thing though, to see Metallica, see James and Kirk and see, see everything up front and just kind of be like, can you guys move so I can see that yeah. guy back there? It's that weird. is a weird thing. It's very weird. I think the other thing that is a, a trait with drummers that I don't find in other instruments is the willingness to share. We will explain anything to anybody at any time. You could be on a train somewhere and somebody sees you tapping and they recognize the pattern and they go, hey, what was that? And you're like, oh, you don't, you don't know the Swiss triplet? Well, let me write it out for you. And, and just so you know, if you, don't, if you want to alternate, that's a flam accent. And here's how the flam accent looks. And we get so excited to share. Um, there was a guy going around getting autographs from all the main stage artists. And you would, if this happened in guitar, he would have been punched in the throat. But he just came up to like me, Yoast, Annika, and he said, hey, how's it going? Um, I don't need your autograph, but can you write down your favorite fill? And every main stage artist, genius. every main stage artist was like, "Yeah, of course, man." And we all just wrote it out. And I just thought, if you came up to Joe Satriani and said, "Can you write out your favorite guitar scale?" He would have, oh my god, you'd be limping back. So yeah, it was. It, but it's like, yeah, that's the normal thing. We just share information. Um, you know, drum festivals. I, I can't imagine that right now. There's like two uh, professional accordion players doing a podcast somewhere with a bunch of accordionists. <laughs> And, and he's like, yeah, I don't know. You just squeeze the box, man. And it's like so beautiful. And everyone's like, totally, bro. I don't think that happens. It, this thing, what we're going through right now, only happens for drummers. It's a beautiful thing. You know, yeah. 
It's a unique breed. It's what it's what allows this to happen. I mean, for Eddie to be like, hey, when you come over, it was his idea to do this. He said, when you come over for the UK drum show, we should do a podcast tour. And if we did anything else in life, I would have said no. But it's like, yeah, I bet the I bet the drum community would come out and watch two morons talk. Like that sounds great. <laughs> um, by the way, I have to say to all the patrons at home, everyone that's joined our Patreon page, to everyone that's here tonight, everything about this week has been paid for by you guys. Your money in that Patreon page, we've been saving that up forever to pay for our hotels. Our, I mean, we're in a van and there's, there's. I don't know if you've seen gas prices, but down. <laughs> like they're crazy. So the gas, the hotels, the meals, everything has been paid for by you guys. Please don't think for one second that we don't know that. I mean, honestly, every time he pulls out the patron card, I'm just like, that's so cool. Like we're staying in a hotel tonight because of our patrons. We're staying in, you know, in decent hotels. I mean, don't think we're abusing you guys. We're not like Michelin. <laughs> we're not at Michelin star restaurants and just like that. checking in. We're like, bowling. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but this is only possible because of that. It would have been thousands and thousands of pounds to do this week after the UK drum show if we didn't have your support. And so I just want to say thank you to thank you guys. You. We appreciate it. We're doing good. Yeah, we're okay. Just so you know, the only reason we're staring at the screen the whole time is because it stopped like late in the podcast. It shut down on us yesterday. So when you guys listen to the next episode that I'll put out in a couple of days, just know that it'll be like, I think the most important part about drum. And that'll be it. <laughs> And to redeem your free snare drum, just type in, and then it'll be over. Uh, that's all you get. Well, everyone that came out tonight, thank you so much. To everyone that's listened to these last three episodes at home, just know that, once again, your support on the Patreon page is what's going to allow us to do the same thing on the West Coast of America, the East Coast, all over Europe. Eddie and I want to do more of these. We appreciate everything you guys do. And for everyone that's here tonight, we are now going to just mingle and hang out. We will strike these drums immediately because y'all will start jamming and you'll be playing till midnight and then Kim will get a fine. And it's terrible. But to everybody that came tonight, thank you. We love you all. Really appreciate it. Thanks for making this so thank special. You. Appreciate it.